Beautiful. So we're in our, we're doing a sermon series on called Practicing with Purpose. And um, what it really is about is like, how do we, how do we maintain our spiritual life? How do we grow? How do we form ourselves into something? You know, we, we, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about that we are all formed, whether we like it or not. The world shapes us and forms us. Every single person is formed by what we take in and what we experience. We're formed by the family we grow up in. We're formed by the culture that family operates and lives in. We're formed by the schools we go to, the friends we have, the work we do, what we study, where we study. Everything around us shapes us and forms us. So it's not a question of if, but by what you will be formed. And we can be intentional about our formation. We can be intentional about uh, who we are, or we can just let it happen to us. And, and, and honestly, for most of us, we just let it happen. We just kind of go through life being unaware of it. Some of us, we, we form ourselves in certain ways. Like if we love golf, we go and practice golf three or four times a week. And so we form ourselves into a more humble person by playing golf. It's a spiritual pursuit that humbles you because you're just when you think you've got it, you don't. But we're all intentional about, we, we can all be intentional about forming our character and who we are. And we need to be intentional about that. And the reason we can be intentional and the reason we should be intentional about that is because that's the way Jesus lived. And so what we do is, is we, we have this thing, and it comes from a, a chap called John Mark Comer who leads a church in America. He's a great Bible teacher. And he says, the, apprenticeship to Jesus, so being a disciple or a follower of Jesus, being a Christian, is essentially three things. It's being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. And it's not three steps in a plan. It's not one, then the others. They kind of all happen at the same time, but we just distinguish them so that we can learn about them and do them. But that's the, that's the essence of being a Christian, to be with Jesus, to become like Him, to do what He did. And so we've got to ask those questions like, am I doing what Jesus did? Am I doing the things that Jesus did? Am I living in a way that Jesus lived? So, this week, last week we spoke about the, the Scripture and the importance of study and reading Scripture. And I hope that you've got a lot out of reading Scripture. Dave had a subtle brag there where he's like just mentioned that he had been reading one, uh, Colossians 1. We put it out and we said, let's read Colossians every week. I mean, every day rather. And some of you were like, that's impossible. I've never read a whole book of the Bible in a day. And then 12 minutes in, you realized the book was finished. And you were like, this is amazing. I've just read a whole book of the Bible. I trust that you got a lot out of it, reading it over and over and over again, reading the same thing. How often do you do that? Not very often, I would imagine. But when you go through that over and over again, you, stuff starts to come out. And you're like, man, I never noticed that before. Stuff that you read and you gloss over and you go through, you're like, gee, I never knew that was in there. And God speaks to you out of those moments. And so I want to encourage you to keep doing that, to stay in the practice of Scripture. Stay in the practice of reading Scripture for study, not just for devotional purposes, but for study. Don't just do one practice a week and leave it and be like, yeah, that was a nice week in my life. Like, I really enjoyed that. But now I don't know what to do. Keep doing the practices. And, and I know we're going to do a lot. And by the end of the seven or eight practices, you're going to have like, uh, you know, you're going to have to be phoning in and saying like, boss, I'm coming in late this morning because you're doing so much in your quiet time. But it's okay. Just tell him Jesus said and um, it'll be fine. So this week we're looking, last week we, we, we I chose scripture because it's good for us to build our foundation on Scripture. Scripture is the most objective way we have of hearing God. It's not completely objective, and we know that because the devil tried to tempt Jesus with Scripture, applied in the wrong way. 
So we know that scripture, and if you have any experience in church history or reading through that, you'll know that scripture has been abused and gets misused often. But it's good that we still go to scripture and we realize that it's not the scripture that's at fault, it's us. And it's the way we apply it and the way we do it. And it's good for you that you don't just listen to some oak standing in front of you on a Sunday morning, but you actually go and read and study and go, hey, is this what it says? You know, Acts 17 speaks to the Bereans, who says we're more honorable than the Thessalonians because when Paul brought the word, they went and studied the scriptures to go and see if what he said was true. That's what we should be doing. So this week, that's a good foundation. This week, we're going to move on to a different practice. And it's kind of two in one, but they go well together. And some, some guys separate them out. Some of the scholars don't. But um, just for me, I, I just felt for us to do this in, in one week. And now we have, we're going to look at certain disciplines. So disciplines of engagement, so where we do something, and then disciplines of withdrawal, or where we move away from things, and we don't do stuff. So if you think about it simply, like reading Scripture, it is an engaging thing. Praying is an engaging thing. Um, celebrating or worshiping is an engaging thing. Things like fasting is a withdrawal. It's an abstinence thing. It's, I, I take something out of my life. It's, and, and this morning what we're doing as well, silence and solitude, that's, a, that's an abstinence thing. That's a withdrawal from things. Okay, so that's our practice for today. And we're going we're gonna to jump between all of them. We're not going to do them nice and neat. I'm going to kind of try and alternate them. But anyway, silence and solitude. Sounds amazing, eh? When is the last time that you greeted someone, hey, how's it going? How's how's? And you actually, like, beyond the polite, you actually said, like, hey, how's your life going? And that person turned around to you and said, man, I'm so relaxed. I just, like, I don't know what to do with all my free time. I just, I just really feel like I'm, I'm, I'm just on top of things. I'm just like, this is, this is so easy. Like, this is, you're laughing because what's the standard response when you say, hey, how's it going? You, I'm busy, eh? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm going for it. Hey, I've got this thing, I've got that. Yeah, I'm, I'm operating. Yeah, you know, I, I just don't have enough hours. In the, I, I wish I had more, more days. In, how, many, how many of you need more days in a week? Yeah. All the people with their own businesses kind of like, yeah, that's me. More, more days in the weekend, yeah. Yeah, but how many people are just like, man, I'm just, I'm just living such a quiet life right now. I just really feel the peace of God flowing through me. Not many of us, eh? We live in a pandemic of busyness, friends. We live in a world where and, and we've got some Christianese to cover up our busyness. We, we've got some, you know what Christianese is, eh? It's the language Christians speak. And we say, man, I'm too, I'm too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> Booty, the bags under your eyes tell a different story. But we live in an age where we celebrate busyness. It almost becomes this thing that we we kind of feel like we have to be busy. I want to start with a quote from Richard Foster. And you, through the series, I'm going to quote him a lot. He is very good on the spiritual disciplines. And if you want to read some of his stuff, you can. Says, he says this, speaking about solitude. He says, Jesus calls us from loneliness to solitude. The fear of being left alone petrifies people. A new child in the neighborhood sobs to her mother, no one ever plays with me. A college freshman yearns for his high school days when he was the center of attention. Now I'm a nobody. A business executive sits dejected in her office, powerful yet alone. An old woman lies in a nursing home, 
waiting to go home. Our fear of being alone drives us to noise and crowds. We keep up a constant stream of words, even if they're inane. We buy radios that strap to our wrists, he's just dating what he wrote, or fit over our ears, so that if no one else is around, at least we are not condemned to silence. T.S. Eliot analyzes our culture well when he writes, where shall the world be found? Where will the word, word resound? Not here. There is not enough silence. We live as if busy is a victory. We wear chaos in our lives like it's an achievement. We feel that we're underperforming if we're not using every waking moment of our lives to check something off our to-do list. Even in our holidays, there is a pressure to perform. And what did you do? Where did you go? How did you see? What? Social media has exacerbated this problem where we are analyzing every moment of every day of everyone's lives beyond comprehension. I don't know if you saw recently, there was a, there's a music festival called Burning Man in America. It's not a Christian music festival, just in case you're wondering. It's... Um, People go out into the desert, even though that sounds biblical, like, like Moses said to Pharaoh, like, let my people go so they can worship me in the desert. They worship other things there. It's not, it's not Jesus. But they're going out into the desert, and they have this massive festival, and it chucked it down this year in the, um, in the desert. And so when it rains in the desert, everything turns to mush. And these guys were literally stuck out in the desert, and they couldn't get out. They were, and I mean, they, you know, they tried to drive, and the roads just churned up, and they're stuck in salt pans. And they, it became a bit of a crisis. They couldn't get food and water in, and nobody could service the toilets, and it was horrific. And um, it was just, so I watched some scenes of this thing, and it was crazy. But you see the posts from people out there. Man, we're just out here, and the oaks are covered in mud, and there's like cars stuck behind him, and he got no food. He's just, we're out here. We're just trying to enjoy ourselves. We're trying to make the most of it. Like we just, we're trying to do everything and trying to be, great about what was, like, just be honest, buddy. Just go, this is bad. Come help us. But no, no, we're putting on social, and it's exacerbated the need for just this impersonation of busyness, and like, I'm doing so well, and my life's going great, and, and you know, do, do you have that? I, I don't know if you know, but you, I get this feeling sometimes. I sit down to relax, and it's like, a knot that starts in my stomach, like, I sh there, there's something I should be doing. I know there's something I should, I don't know what it is, but there's something I should be doing. You get that? No. And the, the reason I'm able to speak about a lot of this stuff is because I have it. I have that thing of like, I, you ask me, I'm not the one who answers I'm living. A, I should be the example of, man, this is what a quiet life looks like live following Jesus. But I'm like, if I show you my calendar, it's scary. And some, people, some of you have seen my Google calendar and it's just colors and stuff everywhere. People look at that and they're like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But it's, it's, and so this is for me, and, and I've been doing this practice for a while, and it challenges me, friends. And this practice will challenge you because of the drivenness of our culture and the day we live in. Because it is like the enemy is behind us, and he's cracking a whip, just going, come on, what are you doing? You need, you, if, you're not, if you're not moving forward, you're getting left behind. Eh? You heard that? You need to be advancing. If you're not advancing, you're moving backwards. If you're not getting promoted, you're getting left behind. If you're not doing more than what's needed, you're not going to get promoted. It's not wrong to work hard, but we've got to fight against the busyness. In the words of Bob Newhart, some of us just need to stop it. 
We need to live more like Jesus. We are His disciples, not the world's. We're not the disciples of the company we work for or own. And I just want to say to those of you who own your own businesses, I have my own business that I run, and so I, I know this, but your own business can be a fantastic servant if you can keep it as a servant. But your own business can be a terrible master if you let it become the master of your life because it'll run you until you are ragged. Rather let Jesus be your master and the business be your servant. We are his disciples, not the company we work for, not the culture we live in or the generation we happen to be born in. You see, as a disciple of Jesus, it means that we are something. A disciple is a noun, you know that? We sometimes use it as a verb, like I, who are you discipling? But it's not. In the original, a disciple is a noun, it's a thing. And so as a disciple, it's more something of who we are as a disciple of Jesus, we're an apprentice of Jesus. So I want to ask you the question, whose are you? Who do you belong to? Who are you following? Remember, it's not a matter of if, but by whom we'll be shaped and transformed. Will it be Jesus? Only if you choose it every day. Jesus is clear on what it takes to be his follower. I read it out of the Amplified. And, and by the way, for those who are not familiar with the Amplified, the parts in brackets are added in. They're not in the original text, but they add them in. Scholars added them in to try and help us understand some of the words and what's meaning in there. So it's a bit longer, but the Amplified, obviously, they, they, it's like it's Amplified. They, they dig into it, so it's an apt name. Jesus speaking in Mark chapter 8, second half of verse 34 and then verse 36. He says, If anyone wishes to follow me as my disciple, he must deny himself, set aside flesh, selfish interests, and take up his cross, expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come, and follow me, believing in me, forming to my example in living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world with all its pleasures and forfeit his soul? Following Jesus isn't a nice to. Your soul is on the line for this thing. That's what he's getting at. He's not like, hey, this will be good if you do it. He's like, if you chase everything else, you're going to forfeit your soul. You're going to lose the essence of who you are. So if we're going to look at these spiritual practices, you know, the ones like engaging, so like reading scripture and, and doing stuff, they're, they're, they're what we used to because it's a doing thing. We, we come out of a doing culture. We want to do something. I don't know about you, but I like to get things done. I'm like, a, okay, tick, check, done, yes, I'm the winning, I'm achieving. But the ones of abstinence, the ones of withdrawal, the, the spiritual practices that we're going to do, where we're going to remove something, those are often far more difficult and far less achievement-orientated. And I would argue far more what we need in our culture today. But we don't see the fruits of them for a while, so you're going to have to stick with them. They all have a cost, but these ones of withdrawal will have a more immediate and felt cost to you. Thomas Merton says this of solitude. He says, solitude is the furnace of transformation, and Jesus himself entered into this furnace. You ever been close to a furnace, like not just a fireplace, like an actual furnace? You ever been? It's, it's like intense. Like you get burnt before you get in the fire. How many of you want to enter into a furnace? Send me, Lord. No one, just me. Okay. So it's, a it's not a comfortable thing. It's not a thing we would choose. But Jesus enters into that furnace. 
Jesus starts off his ministry here on earth, the work that God's given him to do, like the very important thing that God says, right, this is, you're going to earth, you're going to do this thing, it's going to take a little bit, but you're going to, he starts off that work with a checklist, and getting in and praying for people and healing them, some of you look a bit confused because you've read your Bibles, that's not how Jesus starts off his ministry on earth, do you know how he starts it off? With solitude. He goes out into the desert for 40 days. The desert is a, is a wilderness. It's a lonely place. That word Arabah can be translated into, into those things. It means a nothingness. That's where Jesus went. Not a fun, comfortable place to be. I like being out in the wilderness. I like being, but I like to be like where there's rivers and mountains and caves and comfortable things. That's, Jesus went out into the wilderness where it was harsh and there was nothing. A lonely place for 40 days. Silence, solitude, fasting, prayer, worship, warfare, Lectio Divina, all of these practices, I imagine, are things that Jesus would have done in those 40 days. You see, we think 40 days in the desert, and Jesus must have been absolutely knackered. He must have been tired and worn down, and that's why the, the enemy comes to attack him and comes to get him when he's tired. But I want to contend that perhaps Jesus was actually at his most spiritually secure place, spiritually full place. He's just had this incredible identity affirmation from the Father. Baptism with John the bapt baptizer in the water comes up out. The Father speaks identity to Jesus. He says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased before he's done a thing. Up until that point, the man's been a builder. He's had one sort of discussion at about 12 years old with some religious leaders that we know about. Aside from that, he's built stuff. Carpenter, builder, pretty much the same thing in those days. What has he built? Something amazing like the Eiffel Tower? No probably tables and chairs and maybe fix some houses and some roofs. Like up until 30, that's what you've achieved with your life. You didn't make it into rabbi school. You weren't the best of the best there. And you're a blue-collar worker in your dad's business. That, and the Father from heaven speaks affirmation and says, this is my son whom I love, in him I'm well pleased. Friends, we need to sort out our identity in God. Otherwise, we're going to be running after it in the world all day long. Out of that place... Jesus withdraws the start of his ministry, baptized, identity, out into the wilderness. Off he goes, silence and solitude with Father. And the greatest attack of the enemy, second greatest attack maybe, of the enemy comes, depending on Gethsemane, how you view them. And the enemy comes against Jesus, and he comes with those three temptations. The three temptations, the three very things he tempts him with are the three things Jesus accomplishes through his ministry. Do you see that? If you look through the life, go and read it. That's what he does. He tempts Jesus into shortcuts. If you'll do this, I'll give you what you should be doing. If you worship me, I'll give you the whole world. You can, you can take the keys back to the earth. Just worship me. Do the, call down angels. Jesus just answers them back every time with Scripture. I reckon Jesus was the most prayed up and spiritually full he was when he had that encounter with the devil because he had spent 40 days in the lonely place with the Father. As disciples of Jesus, we want to be doing what he did. And so we're going to do a 40-day retreat starting tomorrow in the desert. I'm kidding. Some of you are panic station. I'm just seeing if you're listening. But we want to be doing what Jesus did. We want to be, we want to be following his example. So I don't know if, if, just in case you haven't read it, or maybe you, you have read it and you haven't noticed it, in the account of Jesus' life, here are some examples. And I'm going to read a fair bit of Scripture, but hopefully from this week you would have seen that reading Scripture is not a bad thing, especially in church, Yeah. We should be reading Scripture. Matthew 15. You don't have to write all these down if you're taking notes. Matthew 15, 
Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew. Mark 3, 7, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. Matthew 12, 15, aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. John 6, 15, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Mark 1, 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Mark, Matthew 14, 13, Jesus Heard, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. John eleven fifty four. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. Luke four forty two. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Luke twenty two forty one. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Luke six. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Over and over again, we see Jesus has this withdrawing to lonely places. Now, he doesn't go and stay out there, just so we're aware. The practice of silence and solitude doesn't mean you lock yourself away and you don't engage in the world. He withdraws to the lonely place to be with God, to be with the Father. And then he engages. He's got this rhythm of engage and retreat, engage and retreat. And we need to follow that rhythm as well. We are all about engaging. We are engaging, engage, engage all day long. We need to follow the, the rhythm. And just, just so we're aware, it's, it's not just in the life of Jesus. It's, it's good that we follow His, but the rest of Scripture contains numerous references and instructions towards silence and solitude, both Old and New Testament, but here's some from the Old. Habakkuk 2.20, The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before Him. Lamentations 3.26, It is good to wait quietly, for the salvation of the Lord. Psalm 4.4, 4, when you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. That's one of my favorites. I love being on my bed. Ecclesiastes 3.7, a time to be silent and a time to speak. Psalm 62 verse 1, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. And there's many, many more. We can keep going all day on this. Maybe one day we will. Over and over again, there's this call. There is this example that is set in Scripture for us to be silent and to withdraw to solitary places, to be alone with God. If you remember only one verse, and you can write this one down, Luke 5, 16. And it just is a simple verse, and it's going to be our, our one that we're going to pin it on this week. It says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often. How often do you withdraw to lonely places and pray? Often. What is often? Daily? Weekly? Annually? Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often. Let us be those who follow his example. So what is a, a practice of silence? What is the spiritual discipline of silence? Now, simply, it is a moment of intentional time in the quiet to be alone with God. Okay? Moment of intentional quiet to be alone with God. We, we intentionally abstain from being with other people. Now, solitude and is, is quite a difficult thing to get sometimes, particularly if you're a parent. Um, it can be quite a demanding time, but there are ways to get it, and there are moments, and it doesn't have to be seven, eight, nine hours in a go. This is also not a practice that is for monks who wear brown robes and shave their heads funnily. It's for each and every one of us who follow Jesus. Silence and solitude. Solitude is also different from loneliness. Some of you are like, man, I've got solitude all day long. I'm, the, I'm so alone in my life. Nobody understands me. Nobody knows. Solitude and loneliness are two very different things. 
Richard Foster puts it like this. He says, loneliness is inner emptiness. Empty on the inside. Solitude is inner fulfillment. Silence and solitude can be seen as distinct and, and practiced differently, but we're going we're gonna to look at them both together. And, and silence, like it, it complements and intensifies the solitude. Thomas Merton speaks of a desert, a desert father, so one of the early monks in the, in the, that, in the Roman Empire that went out into the desert, um, named Arsenius. And he was a, he was a high-ranking Roman citizen. So he was, in, um, he, was in the, he was of a senatorial rank, so he was a senator in the, in the Roman Empire, and he, he lived in the court during the time of Emperor Theodosius. Theodosius. And um, he prayed. In there, he was a Christian, and this guy Arsenius prayed, Lord, lead me in the way of salvation. Simple little prayer, easy. And he feels God tell him to flee, leave, go. And so he does this secretly. He leaves, sails across the Mediterranean, comes down into North Africa, and he goes off into the desert. And he prays the same, like a physical desert, and he prays the same prayer again. Lord, lead me in the way of salvation. And he hears a voice say, flee, be silent, and pray always. And so that's what he starts to do. And Thomas Merton, speaking about this, goes on to say that the words flee, be silent, and pray indicate the three ways of preventing the world from shaping us in its image, and are thus three ways, the three ways to life in the Spirit. Flee, be silent, and pray. And you're like, wait, hang on, which one is it? Do I be silent or do I pray? Because for most of us, praying is talking and God listening, yeah? That's how most of us pray. We're like, Lord, this is your time to listen. Now's the chance, God. Are you listening? You're paying attention? And then when we pray and nothing happens, you're like, oh, well, he wasn't listening. No, he's, he can hear you. But praying in silence can be the same thing. Mother Teresa was in, um, interviewed one day by a CBS anchor, Dan Rather, and um, he asked her what she said during her prayers. You all know who Mother Teresa is, eh? Okay. He asked her what she said during her prayers, and to which... She answered, I listen. So Dan turned the question and he said, well then, what does God say? So Mother Teresa smiles and answered, he listens. And if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. No more questions. Incredible woman who did amazing things. You would expect her to be like a long list of like, Lord, there are 480,000 orphans here in India. Like, can you help? I know there's probably more, but I'm just throwing a number out there, but like, Lord, we need food, we need this, we need that. You can, you can imagine the work she did had incredible needs. And yet when asked what she prays, she's like, I listen, and God listens. Incredible. She understood the value, not only of being silent with God, but she understood the value of God's silence too. Sometimes, friends, God just wants to be with you. Parents with kids, you'll know that. It's so nice when they fall asleep in your arms because they stop talking. <laughs> and you're like, right here, this is making it all worth it. They're not asking for anything. They're not asking what we're going to do. They don't want, they're just there in their bed and silent. It's scriptural, we read it. Sometimes that'll be good for us. Flee. Be silent and pray. Of all the, Dallas Willard says, of all the disciplines of abstinence, 
Solitude is generally the most fundamental in the beginning of the spiritual life, and it must be returned to again and again as that life develops. Silence and solitude are different, but they go hand in hand. Silence goes beyond solitude. You see, silence is a different, different kettle. I can, I can be alone. I can, I can go out and I can get on my own. Solitude. Some of us like that. Some of the extroverts are like hiving because you're going, what am I going to do without anybody else around? The introverts are going, this is, this is my life. Like, this is, a, this is my thing. Like, this, I'm, in a, I'm in a 10 out of 10 gold star at going out on my own. Thank you, Jesus, for your example. When I go out on my own, I'm just going to tell people I'm being like Jesus and I'm, leave me alone, stop talking to me. But they are, so being alone sometimes is easy. But being silent in that solitude is challenging for all of us. Because the silence is not only keeping your mouth shut. It is that, but it's more. It's not only listening to something, but it is that. You see, silence as the practice we're talking about is the silence of our hearts and our minds. And that takes immense practice to do for anything longer than a minute and a half. Because stuff starts creeping in and a to-do list. Oh, you need to clean the gutter. Oh, yeah, yeah, dog needs this. Oh, yeah, don't forget, we've got to phone that person. Oh, yeah, we need to buy these three things. If you try it, I promise you, you have a pen and paper ready because you're, you're, like, you're going to have stuff that your brain is going to be... If you can get to five minutes, you are like Jedi-level spiritual practice of silence and solitude. The purple lightsaber. It's hard to shut that thing off because we are so conditioned and formed to be busy and to be thinking all the time, to be doing all the time, to truly sit in silence. Because I promise you, even some of it is good stuff. Like you sit there and God will put, you'll feel like God's putting someone on your heart. You've got to pray for them. No, no, write it down. This is a time of silence. This is just a time where you're just going to be silent. Few of us, if any, have ever truly experienced even complete external silence. The noise of life, the hum of our appliances, comforts us in a weird way. Have you ever been in a place where it's almost completely silent? It's actually hard. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's actually like your, your brain fights to listen to something. It's, you can hear like mice rattling in the house next door. Willard says that we find, Dallas Willard says, we find that complete silence shocking because it leaves us the impression that nothing is happening. And in a go, go, go world such as ours, what could be worse than nothing happening? Silence, silence and solitude strips us of everything we're comfortable with and leaves us only with ourselves and with God, both of which are terrifying for most of us. And yet when we get familiar with that place of just us and God through the repeated practice of these disciplines of silence and solitude, we find that we are free and we are less fearful. How many of you want to be less fearful? Want to be less full of fear? Do you know, it's one of the most given instructions in the Bible. Do not be afraid. By some translations, exactly 365 times. One for every day of the year. Leap years, you're on your own on the 29th of February. But the other 365. Can you see how hard it is in here to keep this thing quiet? Silence and solitude helps us to become less fearful. 
When we possess inner solitude, we don't fear being alone because we know that we are not actually alone ever. God is with us. When we possess inner silence, we do not fear having nothing to say. Any of you got that fear, by the way? The fear of having nothing to say. If you know me, you know it's hard for me to shut up. Man, I, I get in conversations and I'm like, I'm going to be a bit vulnerable here. But I'm like, hey, what am I going to say when I'm around those people? And what am I going to have to talk about? Am I going to, who's going to be there? And what am I going to, and it goes through. And that's an inner, what we, what's it not called? Deficiency? Insecurity. Inner insecurity that I have is not having something to say which doesn't happen very often. But it's because of that inner insecurity. And silence has helped set me free from that. Like of not having to have something to say. Have you seen two people when they love each other deeply and you've been together a long time? Hey, when you go on a long drive, eventually, like after 45 minutes, you've caught up on like what's happening in life. And then you stop talking and the rest of the car drive is silent. If you have no children. But you're comfortable in one another's presence. You don't have to fill it with words. You can just be. And that's okay. It's a good place to be. Silence leads us to not having fear of nothing to say. When we possess inner solitude, we also don't fear with being, don't fear being with anybody else. Because they don't control us. When we bring inner silence, uh, sorry, inner silence brings with it a confidence that does not feel the need to be the loudest and to be heard even when we are wrongly accused or condemned. Isaiah 53, speaking of Jesus, says that he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was like a lamb led, led like a lamb to the slaughter, and his, a sheep is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. So I want to leave you with this. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. 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 That is an incredibly comforting line. Psalm 46, verse 10. That's where we're going to start our practice off from tomorrow. We're going to do the same thing as we did this week. We're going to send out those little PDF um, paper just as a guide. Most of us would never have practiced silence and solitude, so we're going to do it slow, and we're just going to start off. Please keep reading Scripture, keep studying Scripture, push into another book of the Bible, pick a different one, and push into that. Read it. Get into it. Read it over and over. But do silence and solitude as well. So, friends, I want to challenge us. If, if seeking out solitary, solitary places and silent moments was a regular practice for Jesus, then that should be sufficient for us too to do it. It's going to be weird and awkward maybe, but I want to challenge you to do it. And do it early in your day, because otherwise the day runs away with you and we get caught up in the busyness. But let's be those who follow Jesus' example so that we can become more like Him and do what He did. The point of these things, again, is not to check box. It's not to so that we've done it for the day and I've earned some spiritual brownie points. It's to put us in front of God. It's to put us in the presence of God so that He can transform us. The transformation comes from God. It doesn't come from the practice. The practice just puts us into the presence. So let's do the practices, not so that we've accomplished something, but so that we can be in the presence of God to be transformed by Him.
Are you with me? All right, we'll send them out from, from tonight. Maybe not tonight, did rugby on, but, but tomorrow we'll send them out. But I pray that, and honestly, friends, my prayer leading up to this and, and into this week is that you will be stripped of the things that you rely on that aren't Jesus. Because that's what silence and solitude does. And that's a good place to be. Because we rely on so many other things to keep us going, but we only need Jesus. All right, let's pray as we close. Father God, I thank you that you are all that we need for life and for faith and for godliness. And I pray, Jesus, that you would speak clearly to each and every one of us this week, that you would hold us in your arms, that you would comfort us, that you would lead us into all truth this week. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be with us as we do this practice, as we get into the, the habits of Jesus, as we follow his example, as we apprentice to him, that you would speak to us and that you would help us in these moments, that you would strip away the things that are not of you, God. We want to be those who, through everything that we do, ultimately bring you glory, God. We want to make your name known, Jesus. We want to be those who advance your kingdom. But let it be for your glory, God. Let it be so that your glory is known throughout the land, Lord God. We want to be your people. We want to be like you. So help us, God. Help us to be formed and to be changed, to be transformed in our thinking, in our habits, in our words, Lord. Father, I pray that as we do this practice of silence this week, that you would help us to put a bridle on our tongues, Lord God, so that even as we come out of the practice and, and come out of those moments and engage with the world again, that we would be those who are careful with the words that we use, God, that we would speak life into situations, that we would come into arguments and, and things that the, the world and the enemy would bring against us with a different spirit, Lord. Help us, God, to be those who speak life into situations. I thank you, Jesus, for your example. I thank you that you are a God who came and lived as, a, as fully man and fully God so that we can follow your example, so we can see it and follow it. Truly, there is none like you. You are worthy of our praise and our worship, and we exalt you, Jesus, above all others. Amen.